Hi everybody, I'm Dustin. I'm Anna. And we are not qualified to investigate the paranormal. And we may be less qualified than... A Swedish monk. I have no idea what that means. Oh, you gonna find out. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, hi everybody, welcome back. If this is your first time listening in, welcome in. This is the podcast where we look at both sides of the paranormal stories. Because as everyone knows, there are two sides to every story. There are two sides to every story. That's right. And this is a doozy. I, I started researching one thing and I went down a rabbit hole into finding the exact moment in history when these occurrences started to happen, or at least when these occurrences were first recorded. You're being, what occurrences? <laughs> The occurrences of ghosts. Oh, no! It's a very, it's a very specific type of ghost. Um, and I actually started researching. Some of the more popular videos online right now are security footage tape of people who are talking to people who are not there. Mm. So the people are on the security tape. Somebody's looking at them on the screen. They're, they're like, "Hey, why? Who are you talking to? There's nobody there." Yeah, I'm so curious about that. We did watch one documentary about a particular case at an allegedly haunted hotel that turned out to be pretty reasonably explained, and it was heartbreaking. Yeah, but the footage was trying. So many people take that footage as evidence of paranormal. Of, of a person talking to a ghost. Right, and that happens a lot. And yeah. So we're going to start off right now because I have several tales to tell you. This first one was written by Johan Petri Klint, who is a priest in the Diocese of Linköping, Sweden. So he's not a monk. He's a priest. But I don't really know the difference between a monk and a priest. I guess monks live in monasteries. Mm, good question. I mean, monks are a more general term. Yeah, I don't know. Religions. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. The title, uh, well... Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> You're just jumping right in? Yeah. Okay, tell me a story. The title of this story is About the Signs and Wonders that Precede the Liturgical Event. That doesn't sound very paranormal. I, I couldn't pronounce the Swedish version. This is the best translation I could find. Anyway, I am ready to tell it. I, I'm looking up the word liturgical. Relating to liturgy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or public worship. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. In the hushed twilight of Vastreontlan, under a sky threatening snow, Johan Petrie Clint, with two farmers weary from the day's trade, encountered a maid on their homeward route from the Candlemas market. Kind says, the maid beckoned, her breath forming clouds in the frosty air. May I travel alongside you to the warmth of the nearest hearth? The priest, a collector of omens, nodded. I don't know why it matters he's a collector of omens at this point. It would be unchristian to leave you to the cold. Join us. At the end, they gathered by the fire. Innkeeper, a jug of your finest beer, if you please, the maid requested with a smile that did not reach her eyes. When the innkeeper returned, bewilderment struck them. This jug, it's filled with malt, the first farmer exclaimed. With the second attempt, acorns clattered onto the table. What trickery is this? The second farmer cried out, and on the third, blood pooled ominously. The room fell into a silence, heavy as the night. With calm that chilled their bones, the maid spoke. The malt foretells a year rich in grain. The acorns promise fruit aplenty. But blood, blood warns of war and sickness. Before they could grasp her meaning, she was gone, as if swallowed by the very air. Her words a chilling portent that would echo in Clint's mind forever. Uh... And that's the end of the first story. No, that was that was a quick one. <laughs> this story was written in the 1600s by Johan Petri Klint. Okay. Again, a member of the clergy living in Sweden. Uh-huh. 
And he was a collector of omens, a collector of, I think, scary stories. Mm. Uh, and he wrote this down. It, but this might sound kind of familiar to you, or might sound kind of familiar to anybody listening, because it is a very, very common tale. And I've got the next one loaded, ready to go before we start talking about this one. This doesn't sound familiar to me in any way. It's about to. Okay. You ready? Yeah, tell me a ghost story. On a murky moonlit night along Blue Bell Hill in Kent, England, Tom, a weary traveler driving his trusty old sedan, encountered an enigma that would etch itself into the annals of local legends. The road, enshrouded in a thick mist, whispered tales of a phantom hitchhiker, tales that Tom, a pragmatic and grounded man, had always dismissed as mere folklore. As he navigated the serpentine path, his headlights caught a fleeting glimpse of a spectral figure, a young woman, clad in a weather-beaten dress, her eyes a pool of endless sorrow. Despite every rational fiber of his being, urging him to drive on, a peculiar mix of concern and curiosity compelled Tom to pull over. The woman approached, her gaze piercing through the veil of the mist, and hesitantly climbed into the back seat of his vehicle. Thank you, her voice trembled. I need to get to the village to my home. Her eyes lost in an abyss of despair, avoiding his gaze in the rearview mirror. Tom nodded, a shiver cascading down his spine. Yet he managed to utter, Of course, miss, you seem troubled. It's no night to be wandering alone. As the vehicle commenced its journey, the woman spoke, her voice barely above a whisper. It was supposed to be a joyful day. The happiest of my life. Her words, drenched in an inexplicable melancholy, floated within the confined space of the sedan. Tom glanced briefly into the rearview mirror, probed gently. What happened, if I may ask? Why such sorrow on a day meant for joy? She hesitated before whispering, I was to be married, but then everything is so blurry, so cold. Her gaze remained fixated on the world outside where the fog danced eerily with the wind. As they neared the village, Tom, attempting to offer a semblance of solace, spoke with a tender firmness. Miss, whatever has transpired, remember that there is always a path forward, always a flicker of light in the gloom. The woman, turning her eyes towards him for the first time, whispered a haunting inquiry. Is it possible to find light when you are no longer part of the world? A chilling silence engulfed the sedan. Tom, his heart now a frantic percussion within his chest, turned his eyes toward the rearview mirror, only to witness the back seat, now vacant, silently mocking his comprehension of reality. He pulled over, his breath shallow and rapid, contemplating the enigmatic experience that had just unfolded. The quiet sobs of the spectral bride seemed to linger in the air, entwining with the mist of Blue Bell Hill leaving Tom to wonder whether he had traversed the boundary between tangible and ethereal, if only for a fleeting moment. Thus, the legend of the phantom hitchhiker endured, weaving itself into the tapestry of local tales as Tom, forever altered, pondered the realms that might exist just beyond the veil of our understanding. Mm. Now, does this tale sound familiar? No. You've never heard a hitchhiking ghost story. I have. Okay. Not that one. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> of like the bride. No, that's like a different. Oh, really? Like, the woman in white or the, but usually the hitchhikers that I've heard, it's been, it's like people, everyday hitchhikers. They look like travelers, not, right. you know, going to a wedding. <laughs> well, the maid in the first story was just a maid. Yeah. Was a little freaked out by her. Yeah. Probably because she was just a woman traveling alone, but. Yeah. And that seemed to have the specific elements of the omens in the pub and stuff. Right. So this story has been told numerous ways, mm -hmm. but for a very long time. And it's a very specific story. It usually has a person driving 
Um, and the first story was a carriage because it was in the 1600s. Yeah. The second one was in the 60s, so it was a, a sedan. And there are quite a few of these. As a matter of fact, so many that there was a folklorist, two folklorists, who have written a paper on it that was published. Oh. Oh. I'm going to tell you the story of Beardsley and Hinckley. Who are, we're less qualified than them. We are less qualified than them. <laughs> we're probably less qualified than the Swedish monk or you, priest or whatever. Well, that that one I already have ideas about. but Because the unique thing about that one compared to most hitchhiker stories is that they made it to their destination with the person. Like the story continued. Let me tell you about Beardsley and Hinckley. Tell me about a research article. Have a journal club. <laughs> The Vanishing Hitchhiker is a well-known urban legend that was first studied in depth by American folklorist Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey. Hankey? Hinkley. Hankey or Hinkley? Uh-oh. Well, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, for some reason it says Hankey here, but I wrote Hinkley up top. It's probably Hankey. <laughs> Hankey. Look, a Hankey's more fun. During 1942 to 1943, they collected 79 accounts from across the United States and identified four distinct versions of the story. Out of 79, they distilled it to four. That's pretty good. Uh, but I think there is a catch-all where it's like, and then there's the other ones. Oh, yeah. But hold on. Let's let's go through this. The most common version involves a hitchhiker who gives an address to a motorist who later learns that they've given a lift to a ghost. Other versions include prophetic old women, girls met at places of entertainment leaving behind tokens, and hitchhikers later identified as local divinities. The researchers concluded that the majority of the stories involve a female hitchhiker and a male driver. The four variations of The Vanishing Hitchhiker, identified by Beardsley and Hankey, <laughs> are version A. The hitchhiker provides an address to the motorist, who later discovers they've been transporting a ghost. Version B. An old woman hitchhiker makes a prophecy, often of disaster or the end of the world, and is later found to be deceased. Version C. A girl is met at a place of entertainment and leaves behind an item, like an overcoat, on her grave to confirm her ghostly identity. Version D. The hitchhiker is later identified as a local deity or sanctified figure. Hmm. The researchers believe that version A was the original form, version B and D were localized adaptations, and version C likely started as a separate ghost story, but later merged with the vanishing hitchhiker narrative. <laughs> the one I have always heard is version C. The story is that a man goes to a dance, meets a girl, dances with her, she asks him for a ride home, he takes her home, he gives her his sweater, sometimes it's he gives her his sweater, and she says, you can pick it up in the morning. He goes to pick it up in the morning. The mom's like, my daughter's been dead. He goes to the grave and the sweater is folded up on her grave. Oh, that's vaguely familiar as well, yeah. And that's that's version C. So that, to me, might, might be distinctly American, maybe, because okay. Beardsley and Hanky were doing the thing. Anyway, yeah. so in doing more research on this, the list of locations in which this is a popular folklore tale, England, Ethiopia, Korea, France, South Africa, Russia, so this is weird because then it says, and in America among Chinese Americans, yeah. Mormons, and Ozark Mountaineers. Those are so specific and distinct. Yeah. And also different. Uh, yeah, from each other. Chinese Americans, Mor Mormons, and Ozark Mountaineers. Yeah, those are... That's... <laughs> wow. That's crazy, right? It, it, so again, now we come back to when things are cross-cultural in that way across so much diversity, then to me, it's not necessarily evidence that it's real. It's often, I think, in, in the popular culture when it's like, oh, you hear this everywhere in the world, it must be true. To me, it actually gets to a human nature level 
phenomena that like we all share a need to tell these same types of stories, not necessarily that these same these things actually happen. Right. That's what the skeptic, you know, the psychology explanation is. Okay. And that concludes my first three tales here, but I have many more to go. Okay. So before, but the ones that I'm going to talk about next are the most modern, have the most evidence, like true video evidence. True, you say? Well, I'm sorry. True true video evidence by which I mean evidence that is video. (laughs) Right, right. Sorry. Yeah, it's real. I didn't know there was like a, yeah, apparently live recordings of these things. Allegedly true. And also has another academic implementation here where uh, a graduate student started doing research on it because it was so prevalent in this area of the world, which we're going to get into in a second. But before we do, let's talk about the beginnings here. So let's talk about the monk story, the the priest story. Let's talk about the gentleman and Ken story. And then let's talk about Beardsley and Hanky. Okay. Go. (laughs) You said you had something you wanted to say about the first story. I thought it was interesting that you said that that monk was a specialist in omens. Right. That that, he said that that was. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either, except (laughs) two things about it. One is he writes a story. He said he 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 wrote this. It has been by name. He's a you know first person narrator, which is unique compared to the other stories. Are often kind of what we call urban legends, where it's this happened to someone or I heard, and it's like oh yeah that happened to this guy or it happened to that guy, and it's almost always secondhand storytelling. Yeah. Um, so to have a first person narrative is interesting, and it gets at like why might this person tell this type of tale. And to me, there's a very clear link to potentially he wanted to provide some evidence for his own specialization. I know omens because I've learned about omens directly from the spirits. Right. There and is that's that. the end of the story is a spirit telling him what the omens mean. That's right. So the bartender poured the first beer and it was just malt. So it was uh-huh. unfermented. Yeah. Malt. Super sweet and syrupy. Right. right? Which I think would be delicious, but they <laughs> wanted like, to get drunk. So <laughs> Right. The second jug apparently just got filled with acorns uh-huh and then the third was filled with blood yeah and so which is creepy she tells him what each of those omens means and then she disappears and now he's got a tale to tell that justifies his knowledge of omens that's my knowledge of omens doesn't okay. come from nowhere because it's not he's not a scientist he's got to have sources for his what well why doesn't he say it comes from god i don't know that's, that's the, what a priest that's, does this is the confusing part to me is why then but I, I don't know enough about the culture or that particular sect of right. his practice. In the 1600s that... in Sweden, maybe sometimes when you opened up the keg to fill up a jug, blood would come out of it. No. And they needed a way to explain that. I don't know that it happened. You know what I mean? For me, he didn't write it as a tale in the local journal or the local newspaper. Not that they had a printing press, but it's not documented as if someone interviewed him the next day or there's other. Right. If it was documented as this happened to him, then the names of the two farmers should be available too. the name of the pub. Oh, maybe it you know, was. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't read Swedish, especially <laughs> well, 16th century Swedish so, or uh, 15th century Swedish. Yeah. And I, I'm not always trying to provide a like, I'm going to poke holes in it all the way. I'm not going to be able to dismantle every story. And I don't try to. I try to say here are possible directions that an empirical mind would go. If this were a real occurrence, then it should be fairly easy to document. If he documented it to find the people, you know, a legacy of other people telling that story. Corroboration for it actually happening. This could possibly be the first example of this tale in Western civilization. Yeah. And he automatically starts off that it's a woman who's being picked up 
on the side of a road. Yeah, so that's the link with the next stories. I was kind of pulling out. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So ahead. that's great. That's a good uh, segue. So thematically, the connection is the woman picked up on the road um, who then later disappears inexplicably. I did do some research for this episode on like the previous ones this season. You did let me know we're going to talk about ghost hitchhikers. And I didn't go into the ghost hitchhiker specific phenomenon, but more so into ghost stories in general, except for there's one exception to that. Because I do you have a third story? I have several stories. Okay. Because I think there was one you, you may have given me a, a clue about, but here's an interesting thing. So ghosts. I'm a biopsychosocial psychologist. Like that's my base framework for understanding people and phenomena and the biological part is where we always want to start like what could be the organic and and this isn't to say if it is real there's real right this has really happened this is a ghost so the organic explanation of it being paranormal is it was an external event that a person experienced okay but the non-paranormal organic biological explanation is it's a perception someone had Uh, they perceived something Okay. And so we might call it a visual hallucination. You might call it that. But there can be visual hallucinations that come from organic external stimuli. So, for example, vibrations. I thought you might find this really interesting. This is just a very specific possible explanation for ghost phenomena that happen specifically in transportation or in any space where there's the body's being shaken. Okay. Okay. So stick, we'll go with me on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so vibrations that can be inaudible to the human ears, but you can hear it in a car. It's pretty. It's pretty high. We're being moved, whether you're in a carriage or in a car. There's shaking happening. But we can't hear everything. But we yeah, can't hear yeah. necessarily. We can hear from rattling. 20, 20 hertz to 20, 20 kilohertz. Right. But like there it. are the vibrations that can also be occurring. Mm-hmm. You don't have to even be in a moving vehicle to experience right. that. You can be at a building with anything causing a vibration in that building. The range used, you know, it bottoms out where we can't audibly hear vibration at 20 hertz. Yeah. But it causes your eyeballs to vibrate too. Okay. And so those waveforms, this is a quote, waveforms that dwell around this acoustic sweet spot and below are known as infrasound. They're audible to the human ears. They, the interval creates some fairly insidious side effects in that vibration of the eyes, Mm -hmm. which, and some even people call the fear frequency because it can be, it can cause visual alterations with that vibration it can cause auditory alterations obviously because it's an audible and and i just think we don't notice it because we're in such a car culture we drive all the time for those of us who don't drive a ton like i used to do a one time a week commute to a a city that was 75 minutes away and i had this tiny little do you remember obviously Mm -hmm. remember our prius Mm -hmm. we had the teeny version the prius c and i used to drive on this highway 75 minutes first thing in the morning and i would get to my destination and I could feel I would sit first thing in the morning in my office or sometimes I'd be leading a mindfulness group early in the morning and I can feel my body still vibrating yeah money most of us just go throughout our day and might not even notice the effects of driving on us but it's real on our no, body I mean it's it's a very common occurrence we we tend to call them in the uh, in the Coast Guard, we called them sea legs. Okay. Because you would still kind of, like after getting off the boat, after being on it for six hours, you would still sway back yeah. and forth on, on yeah. land because yeah. you just had the liquid in your ears doing something, plus your body's just kind of used to going back and forth. Absolutely. Yeah. And so cars, I would think, would be absolutely no different. Yeah, we sure. just we don't notice it as much. We do it every single day. I think there's a theme in these stories of maybe people are having some of those those things to an extreme. They're Often they're driving at night, mm-hmm. long road trips by themselves. in unfamiliar places. I don't know if they caught on any of those themes in that. Oh, being a combination of being overtired and driving long distance Mm -hmm. and stressed. 
I'm wondering if there's that sort of creating a predisposition for a vulnerability for a, a full-on visual hallucination of, or even a specter that's brief. Right. People also might, this is going into my sleep field, might be going into light sleep while driving. Mm -hmm. Don't even know it because you get in kind of a, a Zen state when driving long distance too. Mm -hmm. It's like a meditative state and people, you can have some hypnagogic hallucinations there. Oh, I de yeah, no, this is a recent example where we drove from Atlanta to our house, which is four hours away after traveling for 24 hours. Yeah. I should not have been driving. <laughs> but uh, I will say that I definitely started to have hallucinations. And then you decided to wake me up and say, we need to switch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, it, like, okay. I think I mentioned this that like to you, which is super dangerous, but the hallucinations would scare me so much that it would give me a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. And I could drive for a little bit longer. Yeah. So well, it would keep me awake a little bit longer. But no, I, and, and I remember having those, I would, I would see it and I, you know, it, it wouldn't be anything specific. It would be like, oh, I think I saw something in the middle of the road that I would have to swerve around. Yeah. Not anything organic or any, like a yeah. box or something, you know, Yeah. which for me is kind of scary because in military training, before you go out forward, any kind of obstruction in the road is a possible IED, right? Yeah. Oh. So you're supposed to swerve around those things. So, so then it's triggering all of that in your brain. Right. Yeah. No, I'm all jacked up. Yeah. yeah. So we call these things like these, the vibrations and of the inaudible sounds, the fear frequency with the eyeball shaking and then the, and then auditorily yeah. what you're getting like combined that. with fatigue, combined with the dark, combined with what we already know. That makes so much sense. Vulnerability. <laughs> you're, you're impressed with this. Yeah. So I, I misspoke earlier when I said, if you're also in light phases of sleep and don't even know it while driving, might be having a hypnagogic hallucinations. Hypnopompic would be a while you're in sleep. Hypnopompic? Hypnopompic hallucination. Okay. So uh, while sleep, while sleeping is really what that means. Oh, oh. Hypnagogic is while awake. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Double check that. <laughs> you're a PhD, you check so that and not. Whatever you say. Remember every single term. But because when I say hallucinations, people go typically go right to, well, this person's not insane. Like, it's not about right. being mentally ill. We all have perceptual distortions that can go to an extreme, even in a healthy brain. You just need to get some sleep. You need to pull over. You need to get some rest and you'll be fine. But this is how much we shouldn't take our perceptions too seriously. The cool thing is that in our culture, then we're storytelling people. So we're going to go tell, look, this is what happened to me last night. And you're going to have a person who's not aware of it being fake. And, and then you're talking about compounding that over centuries yeah. of people from carriage rides all the way to cars. Yeah. having these similar types of experiences that the storytelling part of our brain, we all have some common themes. And there's some theme about who would I think about this? If I see something on the road, mm -hmm. our brain is probably going to do some pareidolia and see it as a person. Yeah. Because we're so people oriented. We're social animals. We tend to see we see people in the barks of trees, right? We see faces right. everywhere. Jesus and a Jesus. grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, it's sure. a face and then it has meaning. Yeah. It's a miracle. It's Jesus, right? All the links in our brain. But in this context, it's probably, to me, your brain sees it as a person and then it's who would I pick up on the road? Who's a person we are most likely to actually pick up? A young girl in a trouble. A vulnerable yeah. young woman, yeah. I think. And that might be cross-cultural. Right. right, that might be cross-cultural where it's the only person that I would pick up yeah. would be, yeah, that's the one I'd feel safe picking up. Okay. So that's what I think with that. And then them disappearing is, well, your hallucinations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I want to, like, I think that you've got more on this. So I definitely want to hear yeah. it. But before you go any further, I do want to jump into the next section here. Please do. Because there's more to it that, yeah. There's a, there's a much more modern example here. Yeah. Um, very, very recent. And it's recorded. Not only is it recorded both by, by academics, but it's also recorded because in modern vehicles, we have lots of cameras. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, whether yeah. it's a Tesla, whether it is a cab mm-hmm. for safety reasons, Uber drivers have them now. Like it's everywhere. There are these recordings happening. So if somebody claims that they picked up a ghost hitchhiker, there's got to be some video evidence, right? Right. Let okay. me see. All right. So this is called the thesis. Yuka Kudo, a graduate student from Tohoku Gakun University in Japan, gained attention due to her research involving taxi drivers in Ushinomachi. And I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. One of the cities significantly affected by the 2011 Tohoku earthquakes and tsunamis. Ushinomaki faced widespread devastation and numerous lives were tragically lost due to the catastrophic event. And I put this little note in here, it was between 3,000 and 6,000 in Ishinomaki and 20,000 total in Japan. Wow. Kudo's research involved interviewing over 100 Ishinomaki taxi drivers, inquiring about their experiences after the disaster. The focus of her study was exploring stories about alleged encounters with ghost passengers following the tsunami. The drivers shared eerie tales of picking up passengers who would mysteriously vanish before reaching their desired destinations. Many of the accounts detailed passengers who would enter the taxi, provide an address, and then disappear during the drive. Here is one such encounter. In the somber twilight of Ashinomaki, a city still nursing its wounds from the catastrophic Tohoku earthquakes and tsunamis, a seasoned taxi driver named Hiroshi found himself amidst an enigma that would linger in his thoughts indefinitely. One chilly evening, the lights of Hiroshi's taxi pierced through the thickening mist as he cruised along the desolate streets. Suddenly, a faint silhouette of a young woman emerged motioning subtly for the taxi to halt. Her pale demeanor and slightly drenched clothing were incongruent with the dry weather, yet Hiroshi paid no heed, attributing it to the lingering sorrow that had pervaded the town. I guess that causes people's clothes to be wet. (laughs) What? All wet with tears? With a soft voice, barely threading through the silence, she spoke. Minahimahi, please. Take me to Minahimahi. Her eyes, lost in a distant memory, avoided Hiroshi's gaze in the rearview mirror. Minahimahi, the utterance of the name, evoked memories of the devastating waves that had stolen away so much from the people of Ishinomaki. Hiroshi nodded, his hands gripping the wheel slightly tighter as the taxi meandered towards the requested destination. As the engine hummed its steady rhythm, the woman whispered almost to herself, The water. It was so cold. Hiroshi's eyes flicked to the rearview mirror meeting the woman's distant gaze for a fleeting moment. An eerie chill enveloped the car, yet he managed to mutter, Were you there, miss, at Minahimai, during the tsunami? But she simply looked out the window, her eyes reflecting the fleeting scenery. Hiroshi, conversant with the town's sorrowful tales, chose to respect her silence, allowing the quietude to reclaim its place. A few moments later, desiring to provide some semblance of comfort, Hiroshi spoke gently, It's a tough world we live in, isn't it? But you survived, Miss. You endured. Her voice, now barely audible, responded with a question that lingered heavily in the air. Have I died? Startled, Hiroshi's eyes darted toward the mirror once more, but the back seat was now emptily echoing the woman's haunting query. The air grew colder, and the taxi, now devoid of her presence, seemed to tremor slightly under the weight of the unsolved mystery now enveloping it. He pulled over, his hands trembling on the wheel, and his mind attempting to weave through the enigma he had just experienced. Hiroshi whispered into the haunting emptiness, Perhaps we're all a little lost, wandering amidst the echoes of the past. Mm. Back to the thesis. Yeah. 
These ghostly tales from taxi drivers of Ishinomaki captured the attention and interest of many. While the stories lack scientific evidence and verification, Kudo's research tapped into an exploration of how communities navigate collective trauma and grief. It provided a glimpse into the manner into which people might have experienced and expressed their pain and sorrow through supernatural narratives. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that interpreting these experiences is complex. While some might see them as spiritual or supernatural occurrences, others argue they may be psychological manifestations of the profound grief and loss that permeated the community following the 2011 disaster. Nonetheless, these narratives serve as a poignant reminder of the tragedy, offering a lens through which to explore the depth of human emotions and the diverse ways in which we navigate and express our experiences with suffering and loss. Mm -hmm. So not to steal anything away from you, but that was a pretty good ending. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually more specifically culturally I wanted to hit on with that. Okay. Um, but... And I, I do have, video have yeah, you so want to see the see video first before I sound like a fool. Okay, like, it's not real. <laughs> okay, so if you are listening in, these are going to be in the show notes. This is going to be the Ishinomaki Taxi Ghost link that I'm about to show on. So if you want to stop here, go watch that. So you're not primed. The word prime, thank you. So you're not primed to see what. Then uh, go ahead and stop here, and join us in a bit. Welcome back. If you stopped, if not, then uh, here we go. Okay, Anna, you're going to take a look at this. Leaning in, really excited to see. Okay. Yeah, I forget. I don't have. We're using wireless mics now. Yeah. We move all around. So this is the taxi driver. Everybody's face is blurred in this because in Japan they have uh, very specific privacy laws. Oh, okay. So that was a different. Yeah. That was a different fare. Okay. So it's very pixelated, as you say, because of those privacy laws. So, but I can tell right now. The faces are pixelated. Yeah. It's so pretty clear. A, yeah, it's pretty clear in the vehicle, except for the driver's face. He has an empty back seat right now. Right. What's weird is they start this one in the middle. They don't show you the part of the ghost getting in until after. But oh, oh, it's just... Keep an eye on the back seat. Okay. Is he talking to himself? Mm, okay. Is he? Oh, I see. Okay. So what appears to be a shape, like a, you can kind of see shoulders and a face and hair of a maybe young woman fading in and out in the back seat. Oh, there she is again. Pretty distinctive facial features. Yeah, yeah. it's still blurry, right? but you can, it looks like a woman with side bangs and young, not very, not tall. She's, she's short. She's sitting in the middle, which is interesting. Yeah, that is weird. I, I, because I know he showed, that showed one person in the car before that was sitting on the side. I don't know that it's common practice in most places for the person to sit in the middle by themselves. Right. But he's not interacting with her. He talked to her. He mentioned something. Okay. Oh, you remember he was talking. Is there an interview with this person? Like, do, do we know this? Story? We don't know. So there's privacy laws and plus... There were a lot of taxi drivers who wanted to remain anonymous when they were telling these stories. I think it's a cultural thing, number one. Number two, I think it's like a professional thing too. Like they don't want to see be seen as crazy. Right. Uh, it. You know what is making it seem fake is that she's not moving at all. Fades in and out. It's very well done if it's a fake, but she's not moving as you might bounce a little bit in a back seat. I don't know. What is the narrator saying? <laughs> Something in Japanese. Yeah, it's a, Actually, it's a ghost video. Like it's a, it's a it's a very classic YouTube ghost video. That's what he's saying. So now they enhanced it, and they're kind of zooming in on her facial features. 
And so how come they were able to obtain this without her face being pixelated? Because it's not a real person, it's a ghost, and ghosts don't have privacy rights in Japan. Because they couldn't find evidence of a fair. Right, who pixelates the videos, is what I'm asking. Oh, uh, I don't know. So, and if you watch it a little bit further, they show him picking her up, you see the door open. Oh, okay. Nobody gets in, and the door closes. That's cool. Okay. I don't know why they don't show that at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know either. And then he drives, and then she's in the car. Okay. Many, many times, though. I'll, I'll debunk that, potentially. I'm going to debunk. They open it up, said, would you go? Are you taking fares right now, or can you take me to this place? And the driver says, no. Right. Or they say, oh, never mind, I'm going to get in this different cab. So I... Right, but if you look, there's nobody behind him. So then he, like, pulls over, right? The door opens. You don't really see anybody. Now, the person yeah, could be ducking could down, be... or... Yeah. They could be, he could be talking to someone else up here and then someone sinking. And there's no, then there's nobody. There's no one there though when they keep, when he keeps driving. No, they could have gone back into the house. Yeah. Wherever they're at. They could have picked this video because it had that component alone of like, we can. But look, he turns around and talks. I guess he's not. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's because there's no interview with the driver or like that we have access to of right. your story from him of what happened. It's hard to piece it together. Clearly, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> You're the sec person, so when you see it as a video, what... what? I think when I first saw that, because I've seen that before, when I first saw that one, I was like, that could be a trick of the light to an extent that somebody then altered just slightly to make it manifest more as a face. Because he's driving through, there's lots of lights being... Yeah. He's driving through the tunnel, and it happens. Like you said, if it's something that's done, and this would be, you know, good to have a special effects person take a look at to say, oh, that's After Effects, or oh, that's, you know, yeah. I, could, I could do that pretty easily. Yeah, the fading in and the fading out of it. I think I would say not culturally, but just, you know, in general as being a human being, not many people would fake that because of the significance of the tragedy, right? Yeah. It, it'd be like, I don't know, faking ghosts in New York after 9-11 or something like that. This was, this was on par for sure. You, you know, not it was a natural disaster, not a terrorist attack. Yeah. You know, there was diff different connotations obviously there, but well, still the same video thing. Made? I think whenever it was right after the... It was right after. Yeah, so this is supposed to be an example of one of those ghosts people in Nishinomaki, right? Uh-huh. But all it takes is one person being willing to do that. Crap. Right. You and know, it could it could have been a Westerner who didn't yeah. give a who, you know, not didn't give a shit, but, you know, maybe doesn't realize the gravity of what they did. Mm -hmm. I would think that that taxi driver would come out and be like, that's not what happened at all, you know, and that this thing would be debunked, if you will. I don't have, I wasn't able to find anything, but also, you know, obviously I don't speak Japanese and I don't write Japanese, so it's really hard to kind of find stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and even if that cab driver did come out, as you said, it, they would still ultimately probably be discredited or seen as how could how did you not notice the person? Yeah. How can you say it didn't really happen? Clearly in the video you didn't notice the person, or if you did, you thought you were talking to someone, but then you never told anyone. You know, there, right? It, I would not, obviously lack of reporting of things. The more aberrant an experience, whether it's allegedly paranormal or personal assault of some kind, people don't tend to report. Less than half of aberrant experiences are reported. Less okay. than half of traumas are reported. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And with that kind of comes the main reason why I started even looking into this, which is the videos of people who are talking to people who aren't there. But then during the video, they're told that they're talking to nobody, to somebody that's not there. Yeah. So I have lots of those. Okay. 
The, and you're not even going to bother showing me them because there's a pretty clear. Most no, no, no. I think you should watch some of okay. these. Okay. Okay. Um, especially this one because it's pretty good because it's, you know, this guy's a really good actor. This whole thing was staged. People are really good actors. Is it, are we leaving Japan at this point? Yeah. Because you know, I like, wanted to speak yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit about one one element, and, and I'm not a cultural anthropologist, and I'm not especially competent in my knowledge of Japan, but one piece I wanted to add, you said you acknowledged from that previous story that grief can play a big part in this, but also on a cultural level, I was thinking about in the Japanese context, and I was reading a little bit about a ghost story of a person who was a, an English man, a British man who was living in Hiroshima, who had a ghost story to tell online. Mm-hmm. And he talked about his understanding that in the Japanese context, it's largely a Buddhist culture. And we talked a little bit. I've mentioned the, the Tibetan Buddhist, Tibetan Book of the Dead. Right. So the grieving process culturally includes a really strong emphasis on helping the spirit of your loved ones to move on through having funeral rituals or viewing rituals that there's Mm -hmm. a strong belief that the role of family and loved ones in the grieving process is to help the spirit move on. Mm -hmm. So having various practices for communion with our loved ones and when events, massive traumas like the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and then these tsunamis, they're there's such a huge cultural disruption of you literally have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people who are dead at once. You don't have the same funeral opportunities. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same grieving opportunities. It's devastating loss, not unlike a hurricane or, or traumas, mass disasters in the states that we've had as well. Then it becomes there can also be a cultural belief of there are many, many spirits who are lost after this mm-hmm. because they didn't have the funeral rights that they're supposed to have. Right. So that's a piece to acknowledge. It's not just a common grief process. It's a cultural specific grief process that would lead to a stronger belief in spirits. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. In the presence of those particular spirits. Oh, yeah. So that's something to acknowledge that I think could be combined with that if cab drivers in these places tend to be having these experiences, those individuals might hold those beliefs. You know, Japanese cab drivers hold those beliefs combined with all the pieces I just talked about of the visual uh, and exhaustion from driving a lot. I would think, right. I would think that they'd be acclimated to the vibrations, might have the hallucinations less. That's a great question. You'd have to see that we probably need more research, like, like occupational health research yeah. on drivers, cab drivers, truck drivers to see what the long-term effects of those vibrations are on the body. Do you adapt or do you then get chronic chronic damage? I, I don't know. That's so I wanted to make that sidebar before I move away from Japan that there are cultural elements to being primed for these beliefs in particular. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing, and, and we're about to jump into just ghost videos of people talking to something that's not there. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen a lot of other videos of the taxis, and none of them had that manifestation happen that we just saw. Uh And that's kind of how I got down this rabbit hole, where I started looking into people talking to ghosts on video. Then it was the taxi drivers picking up ghosts. And then, of course, that just led me, kept leading me back to the origin, which is that priest in Sweden mm-hmm. in 1600 who picked up the woman who was not there. In Western stories. So you have right. Eastern stories of this and Western stories. Right. And like I said, you know, I think when I was listing off the, the countries that this is, obviously Chinese Americans mm-hmm. have this, but also Korean. The other story I shared was from Kent, England, you know? So mm-hmm. Western civilization, Eastern civilization, yeah. it's here. Yeah. That, that idea is here. And so while these two things might seem disparate, they're not. No. They're, it's the same thing it's 
people are talking to people that aren't there. We have this technology. We're constantly surrounded by surveillance, for lack of a better term. That doesn't mean that somebody's watching us all the time. That doesn't mean that everybody's always listening to us 24-7 as much as people want to believe that. There's not enough people in the world to be able to monitor the other people in the world, okay? Right. With, with that being said, I have, I think, four or five other videos to show you. Okay. Most of these are security people because where's the most surveillance happening? With security people. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. That we should start seeing, if ghosts do exist, we should start seeing true evidence of that recorded, mm -hmm. documented by something other than our own eyes. And so that is the rabbit hole I went down. So the first one I'm going to show you is from Jamaica and it is a night security guard okay. at a, I think it's an assisted living facility. Show me a ghost video. So for those of you listening at home, if you want to check out the night guard in Jamaica video, that is what I'm about to show Anna. And then you can jump back in with us. So what did you think about that? Context for me is looking at TikTok. I'm like, who, who's recording while they're working? I'm, I'm, my questions all go to the person recording it. Yeah. So it's supposed to be like a dispatcher? Yeah. At a, what was the facility again? I think it was an assisted living facility. Okay. I could be wrong. Maybe it, was a, it looked like a hospital or something. Is there anything in the notes about it? Absolutely. The, the person who made it? No. No nope. description. And this is on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So the... This was posted on TikTok. The other thing I have a hard time is uh, tracking down the originals uh -huh. for some of these because they're all over the place. Yeah. Because everybody catches something like this and they all grab onto it and you have a million ghost hunters. And it's reposted and reposted. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard to know the origin. I'm sorry, I wasn't describing very well what I was seeing. So it was just a, a very, very sharp, very clear video mm -hmm. of just think of a Jamaican man as a security guard standing in a white hallway. You can see him from behind and he's interacting. It looks like he's having a conversation with someone. It's a very well lit, bright white hallway. There's clearly no one in front of him, but you don't see his mouth. You can't see him talking. You see some gesturing happening. Yeah. But you do see him reaching over and talking on his walkie-talkie anytime that the person who's allegedly recording it, yeah, who's also dis doing the dispatching, and so she initiates conversation to check in on him and communicates back to him. You don't actually see his mouth move to talk to the other person or hear right. him talking. Right. There's no audio except for him on the walkie-talkie. Yeah. So my the the skeptic in me says the entire dialogue could be faked. Okay. The entire, yeah. the conversation she has with him could be completely faked because you can't see him talking or her talking. So we don't even know that that's what he was saying. Okay. That I'm talking to someone. If it were real and he's he's telling her I'm talking to this person and she's overseeing him on the video and telling him there's no one there and then he runs away. Like that's an interesting piece at the yeah. end. Yeah, he, he runs away from an old lady. He runs away. If it was fake, my interpretation is two things that he could have been, if it's completely faked and the dialogue isn't what it really is, he might have been gesturing. He might've been on his walkie talkie the whole time. There might've mm -hmm. been a conversation feature and he might've been gesturing while talking to the person on the walkie talkie. We're talking to someone else we can't see like at the end of the hallway or off camera or around a corner. Okay. Um, and then maybe there's a loud sound we don't hear and he runs away. There could be some other reason he runs away. Mm -hmm. If it's faked in that way. Yeah. If it's not faked, and then... No, there's a million ways to fake this, for sure. Yeah. When someone interacts with someone who's not there, in my profession, 
we don't go, it was a ghost. We go, it was a, a, a visual and auditory hallucination of a person. And you don't have to have full-on schizophrenia to have visual hallucinations. Now, if you have them at that level of a full conversation and enduring for many minutes, and then you meet a several other criteria, a person might go on to be diagnosed with a psychotic disorder or schizophrenia. But you can also hold a job. You can be a security guard and have a psychotic episode like that. Sure. Um, so you would just have to interview the person and okay. and find out, you know, about what they saw and if they've seen that person before. And it, yeah. Okay. People, and I think especially these videos of they're they're talking to no one, which means they're talking to a ghost. It's like no, they're they're having a hallucination that they're talking to someone. Okay. Um, and the documentary I mentioned before was um, it's worth was the haunting of the Chelsea Hotel. There's a video of her interacting with no one in an elevator. And she's kind of playing like oh right you remember i mean yeah, it goes yeah, on yeah. for several minutes and they have videos from multiple floors of her interacting mm -hmm. and um, she was having it but she's a she was on anti-psychotic that's what the yeah. when you get the full picture you come to find out this very young and healthy looking woman has ongoing several years of, of psychotic mm -hmm. um illness and treatment and she was not taking her medication and she was later found deceased at that hotel but okay. there's just years and years of stories of that hotel being allegedly haunted and so they use that as evidence that she was killed by ghosts right and that's obviously not what happened so okay so yeah. i have another video for you of another nighttime guard okay it's the absence of there's no one there there's also not a ghost there do you know what i mean like you're not showing me visuals of a ghost like the other video is more compelling because there's well hold on because <laughs> okay. maybe i'm going to show you something okay. can okay. you can you give me a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here <laughs> jeez i mean i know we're skeptics but uh, at least see it okay let me refresh this i don't know how to make this any bigger because instagram sucks this is sped up obviously okay so it's a sped up video of a security guard walking in very well lit again very clear walking around a corner and there are two balloons following this person. So the story behind this one is that at the beginning you see him interact. I don't know why they speed it up the way they do. Maybe it's just the way Instagram works. He's giving the two balloons to two kids that he sees sitting there. Is that what he said? That's what he said. Okay. And then as he goes down the hall, the balloons follow him and then he's talking to the kids again. That's fun. This is another one where a guy's talking to somebody who's not there, but you've already kind of said you're not going to believe any of those, so we're going to keep going. Uh, everyone should watch them all. I always want to know more. I want to know if they interviewed the guy, if they, you know, the, the context, because when you know more, it's no longer just a video. It's a two-hour documentary about a person's life and death or life and illness. There's another late-night security guard. So the door's open. This is the bank. The guy lets somebody in, talking to them, or maybe he's writing down that the doors malfunctioned. Right. There you go. <laughs> oh, no, now he's pointing and gesturing okay. to somebody who's there. It's amazing. I mean, it's very, it's so quick. Um, and it's like watching a mine, a person doing a mining act, you know, because it's very convinced that they believe they're interacting with someone. Well, and if you look, the door's open, so there is some other evidence going on here right so it's sure. it's possible that he's done this so many times that if the door is open he just automatically gets up and and he just does convinced himself that there's somebody there yeah this one's actually even more interesting than the the first security guard one you showed me because the door is open but we don't know if he's documenting the doors malfunctioned or if maybe there was someone who walked up and he opens it to prepare to help them and then they walk away but then look because he but the gesture he's talking he could say it's if he could be talking to them outside. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's true. There could be a 
walkie-talkie system or a speaker system. He could be pointing to come later to, I don't know. There's not enough context. Yeah, let's see this one. I'll put all of these in here. Please do, everyone, take a the look. The following video shows a wall. Oh, I hate these guys. Okay. This is what, I, what I'm talking about when, like, you can't find the originals. Yeah, so it's a security guard, little grainier, not, it's a video video. Right, that's always the bad things with these is that they don't, they can't export because it's their job or whatever. So he opens the door for someone. And you could, you could almost believe that he's walking with someone Right. But not necessarily. He's not, he's sort of nodding and... Does he have earbuds in? I think so. So he could be listening to something and he could be on the phone with someone. Now he's looking. Oh, the motion sensing lights are going on. That's another thing that's happening in this one. Okay. He waves. He's, he's looking as if he's talking to someone. He's looking back and forth. And yeah, these lights keep going on or off and on, which is kind of weird. So again... He could just be having a psychotic He could episode. be. And that, to me, if this is such strong evidence and it looks so compelling, it's very much like the documentary we watched where... She was a little more sporadic in what she was doing. Yeah, these people are a lot. was very erratic. These people are acting like they're talking to someone. They're just acting there. She was doing that, but then she was also like jumping in and out of the elevator, hitting all the buttons on the elevator, yeah. going a floor up, running out, running back like in. Like she was playing. Yeah, like she was playing. These people are acting like they're professionally speaking to somebody yeah. as a security guard. Yeah. Now again, that could be fake. That could be... You know, they could be really bored at work. I think that's what happens with a lot of security guards. They get kind of bored. They're like, I want to make a TikTok video and I'm going to get famous because I said this was paranormal or whatever. Yes, you absolutely hit on one of the things I was going to say. The context of that kind of profession is one of boredom. And then the other pieces are if this were, quote, real or these people are very welcome and this happened and they have a story to tell, why isn't there an accompanying interview with that person? And as you say, it could go back to culturally, they don't want to admit that it happened or that they're afraid of the consequences in their profession or if people don't believe them, which again is the most common reason yeah. people don't go on to report aberration or aberrations in their life or traumas even. But more than likely, it's that they, if they were having some sort of psychotic episode, they didn't keep their job or some consequences happened or they're, mm. they're not going to come forward and say, I feel embarrassed you have a video of me having a mental health episode. And I don't want to talk about that. Right. Right? But if you go back to the taxi drivers yeah. in uh, Shinomaki, mm -hmm. they opted to stay anonymous because of that. Because they were like, well, I mean, there might have been other reasons too. There might have been cultural reasons where they're like, well, you know, if a ghost visits you, you're not supposed to talk about it or whatever. Yeah. But it could also have been... And I don't want to lose my job yeah. because people are going to think I'm crazy or think I'm working yeah. too much or, you know, whatever it is. We had to stop recording for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we're back now. I think what I was trying to say was that we are stuck between a rock and a hard place because on one side we have people's beliefs, right? Yeah. And people's cultures. And then on the other side, we have the knowledge that grief causes us to sometimes see our dead loved ones or to see something right yeah and that may be a drop in the bucket of these kinds of experiences on the well not driving for, for the taxi drivers i mean they probably had loved ones in the area who died and potentially yeah yeah and it might not be them that they're seeing but like a communal grief right well we talked about when it comes to specifically the story that you started with of like the ghost passengers whether it be carriage rides or taxi drivers or the hitchhiker stories. Right. That there are possible 
explanations that are biological in nature when it comes to the vibrations we experience while driving or riding, the exhaustion we experience if we're on the road a long time, the, the visual stimuli people can perceive middle of the night driving, and then the explanations we tend to give for that, which is seeing people. We've talked about that a lot, pareidolia. Those are biological explanations, going into the psychological. And then, yeah, there's a cultural piece, too, of these stories might play a role in grief processing at the individual or the the group or societal level for, for mass events that happen. And then for the security guard videotapes, then we're getting back into sort of more modern era skepticism about these, quote, pieces of evidence that you could poke holes in. As, right. As that there's so much... the. The angle and the, the always think about when I always think about when you're watching these videos, like whose angle am I seeing it from? Who's you? Because there are ask any filmmaker so many possible angles you can get yeah. on an event and see it very, very differently. Um, so that's one piece with with surveillance footage or CCTV footage or security camera footage. It's one limited view. Right. And two, one of my favorite YouTube videos is actually some FX guys who will watch these videos and will say, here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Here's, what, here's what I could do. What they could, if they were doing special effects, if they were doing too. Special so it's effects. like unedited right. version, still or limited now, view, and then edited is just a whole new. What's great about these videos is you don't have to do any special effects because yeah. you, there just has to be nobody on the other side of the conversation. Right. And then you can just say whatever you want. You can fill in the blank. Yeah. And then if anything, they take away effects. They take away sound. They take away an angle. It's, right. They give you less information. And what does our mind do with less information? Fills it in. It fills it in and it kind of goes circles right back Spuma. to where we started. Yeah. You're seeing, you see something on the road, fills it in, your brain fills it in. And, and and I think the FX would come into play though with the girl in the back of the cab in that, in the Japanese video we watched. Yeah. That's, because that was yeah. definitely, there was something there, whether it was put there afterwards or not, we don't know. Yeah. But there was definitely something there. That looked, it appeared like a translucent person. Right. <laughs> Which we would, yeah. yeah. See as a visual effect or a ghost. You choose, you decide. You do, yeah. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> and you tell us what you think yeah. by emailing us yeah. at stories at paranormaloutsiders.com or follow us on Instagram, paranormal.outsiders. And I think that concludes. <laughs> Please follow us on Instagram. Please do. We somebody, follow us. Somebody follow us. <laughs> oh, begging works, right? On social media. It really, yeah. yeah. People, begging is so cool. Yeah. We're bringing it back. <laughs> We're bringing begging back. We're, we implore you. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all for listening. And again, <laughs> hope you enjoyed this one. We had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. I, I started in Japan in 2011. And I made it to Switzerland in 1601. Yeah. And then right back around to the United States. And then right back around to the United States mm-hmm. again. Look at us. No, actually, I think most of those other security guard tapes were in another country. Oh, yeah? There were only two that were in the United States. Oh. Uh-huh. One was Jamaica. The other one was Mexico. Okay. So you yeah. came back to this hemisphere. There you go. Mm-hmm. Sure. Anyway, let's thank you all. Continent. Oh, God. <laughs> Wherever we are. <laughs> Wherever. Mm-hmm. Paranormally. We're on the. We're all on the same astral plane. Sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> okay. Thank you all for listening. Bye. <laughs>